0: So as we come to the close of chapter 1 that we've worked on for multiple weeks now, but as we come to the close of chapter 1, the fact of Paul's apostleship and the authority that goes along with it has been firmly established in the church. Remember, that's what's at stake in Paul in expressing the gospel to those at Galatia, that his authority is apostolic and that the false apostles that are there or the Judaizers that are there that are mishandling the gospel do not have the authority in the church to do so, and they have the content of the gospel all wrong. It isn't Paul who has failed to understand. But if you look at the text with me just briefly as we transition from one into two just prior, we didn't handle these particular um, verses, so we'll just read over them just briefly. Notice the transition as Paul concludes um, his statement in chapter 1, after the, he, give, he gave the oath in verse 20, again, speaking of the unfortunate circumstances of what has become of the relationship of the apostle and those in Galatia. The fact that he even has to swear or take an oath that he is not lying, speaks of a, 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 a very bad relationship that has befallen him and those he loved and counted as dear in Galatia. But then he he continues with the biographical information, verse 21. Then I went, so after I was there for 15 days, and and I spoke with James, the Lord's brother, and, and Cephas. Then, after that, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And he says, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said to them. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And so as he's making this transition from chapter 1, or as we are from chapter 1 into chapter 2, it's important we note that Paul, after he was there in Jerusalem, the first time when he came to meet with the apostles, he then left Jerusalem for Syria and Cilicia, and he continued to preach the gospel unto the Gentiles. And although he had not yet visited, as you notice in the text, the churches of Judea, nonetheless, they also knew his testimony. Because his testimony was widely spreading everywhere he had been, even into the regions he had not yet reached. If we look over the end portion of chapter 1 so far, we find out that Paul has been preaching the gospel in Damascus, Arabia, Syria, in Cilicia, and now the testimony of those regions has reached even those in Judea. They have not seen him face to face, as he says, but they indeed have heard of him. Now, what's the point, again, of Paul mapping out all of these pieces? I was here for this long, I then went here, then I went here, then I preached here, and I'll let you know I didn't go over there, but the people nonetheless heard of me. Why such a wide mapping of his testimony? to give to the Galatians in order, once again, to gain their trust, to correct them, to draw them back to the truth. But why the historical mapping of all of the elements of where he has and has not been? Why? Because, again, it's important to his argument. His argument has been, continues to be, and will be for the duration of the book. And it intensifies in chapter 2 this morning that he has consistently... Wherever he has gone, whether it be Damascus, whether it be Arabia, whether it was you in Galatia I spoke with, whether it was those in Syria or Cilicia, or those who heard of what I was saying all the way to Judea, I have, and I am, and always will, consistently preached the gospel of justification through faith by grace alone. I didn't change it in Damascus. Those in Judea heard of what I had said in Damascus. And when they heard it, they glorified God because of me. I didn't change it when I was in Arabia, and I didn't change it in Syria or Cilicia. I have not ever changed it, neither have I got it wrong. But I have always preached the gospel of justification by faith, through faith, by grace, alone. And as a result, the entire Catholic Church, at this point, has glorified God Because of me. There's a harmony and a unity within the churches that have heard the singularity of the gospel. And now he then takes that historical mapping and the sense of confidence that the church stands with me. I've listed the places where I have gone to preach and to minister, and I give you full report that there is a harmony and a unity. There is a giving of glory to God because of me and my ministry among them, that it's you, the Galatians, who are out of accord, not the church and not me this testimony stands against you. And he now begins to more specifically address the bitter conflict at hand. So he's moving from kind of a mapping of himself and his testimony and the content of his preaching, and now he's going to get very specific to a historical event where he addressed the bitter conflict that is now raging in Galatia. And it is this namely, Here is the center of gravity of the conflict. He's going to give us a historical example of explaining his wrangling over this issue, and it is simply this, whether or not the Gentiles are bound by the law of Moses. That is the center of gravity for the argument. That is the bitter conflict of which he's listing that entire mapping out of his ministry to say the church Catholic stands opposed to this. And I'm going to give you a very specific example of where I stood opposed to it. Opposed to what? Whether or not the Gentiles are bound by the law of Moses. Notice how he does this now, so he moves beyond this autobiographical sense of his ministry, where he's gone, all that has been accomplished, and the response of the churches. And now he draws our hearts, or our minds, rather, to an historical occasion. Notice verse 1 and 2. Then, so he's picking up after he says, again, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I still wasn't known in Judea. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Now, remember, he's been to Jerusalem, because he's saying, I went there again. Verse 18 of chapter 1 is his first mapping out. After three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit. Now, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential. I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. What's taking place here in this text is he marks out for us, again, a historical, very specific occasion of when he went up to Jerusalem some 14 years after his last time there. Um, Some date it to say, if we look at the book of Acts, and we'll just briefly sketch a timeline here, but perhaps it's 11 years from the last time he was in Jerusalem technically, but it's 14 years from his conversion event. Either which way, it really doesn't matter. Paul's scaling it at 14 years since the last time I was in Jerusalem of any noteworthy mention. And when he got there... He specifically inquired about a private meeting with those who were the apostles there. When did this exactly, or this debate exactly that he's referencing here, take place? When was it? Can we note it? Do we know for sure? If we go to the book of Acts, do we find this specific private meeting between Paul and the apostles? Do we see it specifically outlined and the contents of the debate? No, we do not. Not specifically. So we cannot be exactly sure. What we do know is Paul said, I went once and I met with Peter and James, the Lord's brother. Fourteen years after I have went back up to Jerusalem, I inquired about a private meeting. I wanted to meet with those who were indeed influential. We know Peter. Later on in the text of chapter two, if you've already read ahead, you know that it's also James and John. He wants to speak with them in private. Why? He wants to find out about the contents of the gospel they're preaching. There seems to be a confusion. Moving about, as Paul is moving about, whether or not the Gentiles are bound to observe the Mosaic Law. How is this continuing to grow? I went up to Jerusalem and I inquired about a private meeting. In order to make sure that I was not running in vain, had not run in vain regarding this issue of the Gentiles observing the Mosaic Law in order that they may be justified. If this meeting is recorded at all, if we read between the lines, which we will have to do a little bit, we'll have to draw upon inference uh, the chronology of events in the book of Acts, if it is recorded, then it seems likely that it fits in somewhere between Acts 11 and Acts chapter 12. How so? Well, turn with me, if you would, over to Acts 9. Let's briefly sketch it out just to see how Paul is putting forward the argument at this time that he had this debate by going back up to Jerusalem because there's a question that continues to circulate whether or not the Gentiles are bound to obey the Mosaic law in order that they may share in the fruits of Christ. In order they may be saved, as it were. Do they need to submit to the Mosaic law and also be circumcised? So I went up to Jerusalem, and I inquired about a private meeting. I wanted to ask about the contents of the gospel. Our question now is, when did he ask this private meeting, or when did it occur where he went to a second time to Jerusalem? Well, if you look at chapter 9, if you're there in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, notice verse 19 through 22. That section there is what Paul's referencing, if you're in Galatians, in Galatians 1.17. I'll read it for you since you're probably in Acts, but this is the text where Paul is referencing his time in Arabia. Verse 17, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I'll begin in verse 19 of chapter uh, 9 uh, of Acts. This is where he's referencing this time. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is his reference of the history he's giving to the church at Galatia in verse 17 of Galatians 1. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many uh, days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This portion of 19 then through 25 is what Paul's referencing in Galatians 1.17 that he preached in Arabia and Damascus, the better part of three years. Then, if you recall, he says in Galatians chapter 1, after these three years, I went back up to Jerusalem, or I went to visit Jerusalem. This is where you're at in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But here's where we see yet again uh, his partnership in ministry with Barnabas, which is continuing in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up. Waking in the, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, It multiplied. At this point in time, his first trip to Jerusalem is complete. You saw it there in the text. Barnabas brought him to the other apostles exactly how he's outlining it in Galatians 1. Now in chapter 2, he says, and 14 years later, I went back. And it was during the course of his ministry now that he's hearing this continued debate whether the Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be saved. I went back to Jerusalem at this time. It was 14 years that had passed. Where is that in this text? Well, if you will, look over in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. Just briefly, I'll sketch it for you. Because it's, if it is recorded that he had the secret meeting with Peter, James, and John, it's during this trip right here, somewhere located in this text. Acts chapter 11, uh, you'll notice verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to who? To the brothers living in Judea. And they did so. Sending it, that is, the contributions and charitable offerings to the elders. How is it going to get to Judea, to the areas of Jerusalem? by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the recording of his second trip to Jerusalem. Look over in chapter 12 at the end of it, and I'll just note for you one last piece that helps us understand the chronology of Galatians chapter 2. Verse 24, But the word of the Lord, or the word of God, increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the record of Paul's second time in Jerusalem. This is the period of the 14 years that had passed since his first trip to Jerusalem. So it is suggested that during this time in Jerusalem, when he was charged by the elders to bring relief of charitable contributions to those in a very difficult time in the churches of Judea, Paul and Barnabas went together and brought these charitable contributions to the church to nourish the community of faith during a very difficult physical time. It is during this time of bringing the contributions wherein he sought a private meeting as outlined in Galatians 2 with Peter, James, and John. Again, look at the text of Galatians 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with, as we know by Acts chapter 11 and 12, with Barnabas. Now, again, I can't account for the fact that Titus was or was not mentioned. Um, Titus is mentioned here. He is not mentioned in the Acts account. Again, uh, not sure as to the purpose or the reasons why Titus would be included in one account or another. But we'll see here in Galatians why it would be included here in Galatians. It's for the point of the argument of chapter 2. Whether he was there uh, noteworthy in Acts is really of no, 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 no concern. Verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, again, again, At this point, he explains that he has taken Titus along with him for the reason. I want to just make clear one little piece regarding Paul's private meeting. The language of making sure that I was not running or had not run in vain is not a comment of insecurity on Paul regarding the contents of the gospel. It isn't that Paul's seeking a private meeting with the apostles because he's not so sure if he's been preaching the gospel faithfully all the while yet for the better part of 14 years of ministry. Maybe I'm the one that has got it wrong. Is this right? Because I'm hearing this debate that the gospel is indeed good, uh, but yet you must be circumcised or submit yourself to the Mosaic law if you're a Gentile in order to share in its fruits. Am I the one who has it wrong? That is not what he's suggesting here. He is suggesting that they may be a source of getting it wrong. Not accusatory, but he indeed wants to know are we of one accord in the Catholicity of the gospel? Where is this coming from? Where are we beginning to cloud over that faith is an empty vessel that receives the work of another and create a system wherein faith acts and works so as to merit the works of another? Where is this coming from? So I sought a private meeting to make sure that I had not run in vain. Meaning, throughout the course of my preaching, do I basically have to start over? So I sought a private meeting with those who seemed influential. Then he explains a very specific stroke. Because remember, the issue that stands here is circumcision. That if you are a Gentile and you're converted through faith to the gospel, you still yet have a justifying act. You must be circumcised. Share in the sign of Israel, physically in your flesh, whereby you then can share in the fruits and the meaning of faith in the community of the people of God. So it's interesting, right? Paul says, I took Titus with me. You're supposed to go, dan, 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 dan. That's the part of the argument. Watch. Look at the text. He says, verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Well, maybe he didn't need to be. Oh, he certainly would have. Right? Because he was a Greek. You see, the argument for Paul is it Titus served as a material witness to this very debate? His presence. I went and saw a private meeting to confront and to shore up that indeed adding works to the gospel is a denial of the gospel itself, even if it be circumcision and mosaic observance. It's a denial of the gospel. I took Titus, who serves as a physical, standalone, material witness to this debate. He is a Greek. His presence as a believing Greek Who was not circumcised upon his conversion amounted to a living example of Paul's position. Remember, Paul was being um, assailed in chapter 1 as being a man pleaser. He's making the convenient argument at the moment to the people who want to hear it the most. He's doing the very opposite of that if he appears with Titus at this moment to say, I'm not radically manipulating the gospel based on the context and the feedback. I went and I saw a private meeting for the very purpose of getting the gospel right. And I took, without question, Titus along with me. Why? He's a Greek. Well, did you have him circumcised? No, I did not. He presented this to the apostles there in a private meeting that then clearly spilled out to a public meeting in order once again to stand face to face with the very apostles, those there in Jerusalem, to shore up with them, that he is with them and they're with him, that what the Judaizers are teaching, that one indeed can exercise faith, but must add the essential redemptive components of circumcision and Mosaic observance. He wanted to shore up with them. That those elements are an absolute denial of the gospel they cannot be added and we're okay elements of the gospel cannot be added to neither can they be taken away or the gospel is lost all together notice how he speaks of it in the text he says verse four yet because so so he's in this private meeting to those who seem influential i sought it privately but even Titus, who was with me, I brought as material witness to that which I am proclaiming, that indeed they are also surely. He was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them. We did not yield in submission, even for a moment. You see, here in this context, it's hard to certainly know exactly how it all went down. But Paul sought privacy, and yet those who were false professors were were snuck into the meeting of the congregation, as it were. There was deceit involved. They came into the congregational setting under false pretense. Hey, brother. We're like you, you're like us. We confess the same gospel, we assent to the same Lord. As Paul is there, in order to disrupt the proceeding. Notice what they're seeking, what they want to do to the people of God. What false systems of gospel do to the people of God. Notice verse 4. Because of the false brothers. What do false brothers do? What, what, what do they seek to do? Various schemes and systems of understanding, secrets and insights. What, what do they do to us as the people of God who fall prey to them? They spy out our freedom that they might bring us back into slavery. You see, again, you cannot add to the gospel or subtract from the gospel without losing the gospel. Therefore, by public outburst, they demanded that Titus be circumcised. But verse 5, because Paul knows they were outed by what they demanded of Titus, that he be circumcised. Verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why not? What was at stake in that moment? Even if we yielded for a moment, to hear the argument, perhaps, to maybe add a little bit more clarity or nuance to the issues To be a little more reasonable and malleable to the issues. What if we just sat and we ate and we drank and we laughed and we cheered and we thought and we deliberated. What would have happened? Paul says. The gospel would have been lost. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see again because the law of Moses had to be observed and that the Gentiles could not be saved unless they were circumcised. Paul said to submit to that, even in rhetoric, would be a denial of the confidence and freedom we have in Christ by faith alone. Notice the rest of the text just briefly. Verse 5. We didn't yield for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, this is his, his dialogue. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, look at the sum total of the matter. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel... To the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel, the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, those who he thought were influential, who he sought this meeting with, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. And we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You see, in the end, he says, they added nothing to me. They didn't correct me. They didn't change the content of my speech, but we agreed that the Catholicity of the gospel is uniform. That the gospel is the righteousness of another through the empty vessel of faith. That receives. It doesn't strive. It doesn't work. It doesn't add. It passively receives. And is thereby nourished. You see I'll end with this comment. Think about it like this. This is the logic of the debate. If salvation. And you have to think about this in microsystems. Because that's how we're treated now. It's simply a switch of a single verb or a switch of an, of an accent point or this, the, 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 just the simple shading of your focus from one degree to another. It's so subtle, it's hard to pin down. Let me just say it to you like this. Think of it in these terms. If salvation consists in the observance of what need do we have of Christ, as our justifier and savior. This is the language of Paul in the sum total. If salvation, now it may not be circumcised for circumcision for us, which it clearly is not. And, and, and it's not necessarily how we observe the Mosaic law that is at stake in our discussions. But let me just conclude with this. Fill in the blanks. If salvation consists in the observance of is your blank. What need do we then have of Christ as our justifier and savior? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, once again, this Lord's day. We thank you for the opportunity to be with the people of God, in the organism of the church. We thank you for its various ministries, the preaching of the word, the singing of the songs, the giving of offerings. We thank you for its uh, also attendant ministries. We thank you for RUF and uh, the good work that they're doing on Pitt campus and proclaiming this same gospel of Catholicity that indeed one can be justified through Christ, through faith, by grace alone. Lord, thank you again. Help us to understand the gospel wherein we are making the mistake for subtly giving it up in order that we might self-justify or self-cleanse, offer proper penance wherein we can finally be restored, but let us truly assent to Christ through faith alone. Let us be renewed and reassured of your gospel promises that we need, as we see here with Paul, to add nothing. But we need to receive everything. In Christ's name we pray,